What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Wednesday night, June 12th is when we are recording this. You will probably hear it Thursday, June 13th. But John, it has been hotter than hell in the Bay Area. How are you doing? And please tell me you are not melting. No, wait, man. I got AC, bro. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, blasting. And, well, not right now. It's actually pretty, it's going to cool down, you know, after tonight. So, thankfully. But, you know, the wife has AC going. Kids need to stay cool, you know. So, we've been okay. Yeah, it's funny because in San Francisco, it generally doesn't ever really get that, that hot. And I don't know if you know anything about like San Francisco architecture, but no, no homes in San Francisco really have air conditioning. Like, I I mean, I'm sure like, you know, some expensive homes or whatever do, but um, like San Francisco, like apartments and stuff were not built with the idea that they needed AC because of just a way that the, that, uh, you know, the general area of San Francisco stays cool and probably colder than than you know normal areas in the bay area but so these people are they're dying because of the no ac in their apartments and you know it's 90 something degrees in the evening and and san francisco san franciscans are just not used to it in the and then in the south bay it's you know 10 degrees hotter in where where we live but yeah it's it's been it's been it's been a crazy heat wave but like you said it should settle down and should be back to sort of back to normal for us yeah we always get like at least what one or two heat waves a year so this one kind of came a little sooner than usual well, usually like in july there's that one week where it's pretty damn hot but it just showed up a month early um uh so in the world of professional wrestling um there were there we, we've been on a pretty good run of shows uh i think uh if you if you go back to the uh the double or nothing show the following weekend was the um the nxt show and then the following weekend after that was dominion and so i was trying to figure out if there had been a run like that historically in wrestling for like like let's say the pay-per-view era where you just had three shows back to back to back that were all so good. Hmm, I'm trying to think. That really sticks out, so I don't think so. But, you know, there's probably stuff that, what you know, now, like we talked about last week, how, how the world's just so much smaller now, right? We can watch this stuff. Like, you know, and back in the day, we wouldn't be able to watch the Dominion show until the tape came out, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're just able to watch everything across, you know, all around the world. So, you know, I'm sure it happened like in the 80s, 90s. I just don't remember. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's just it's been uh, it's been a really good roll of uh, run of some great shows and some great matches. The one blemish on that uh, great show run is depending on if you watched Friday's Super Showdown or not, mm-hmm. because you know it it was a wwe propped up house show and uh the, the, you know there was some intrigue just because there's you know wwe is, was hyping it as the first ever match between the undertaker and goldberg but there was other stuff that they played up in storylines on raw and on smackdown 
and they treated Super Showdown as more of a tease than anything else, I think, uh, and just a continuation of all of those storylines, because so, nothing really, really happened on that show. But yeah, I mean, that was the only you know real blemish, um, especially for people who stayed home on a Friday. I did have people angrily t- tweeting me saying, ah, oh, I can't believe I stayed home just to watch this show on uh, on a Friday. I should have just went to work. But, That's um, their fault. They should have saved that PTO time. So uh, let's let's actually talk about the uh, the Dominion show first. Uh, the it's so hard watching these New Japan shows because it happens in the evening, and then you got to wait until Saturday and or Sunday morning, and then sometimes you're you're uh, you're getting spoiled if you accidentally go on social media because you forget. I stayed spoiler free with this one except I had figured out that Jericho wasn't going to win just because I saw tw- I saw Jericho tweet a picture of him going to the back and he didn't have the belt and I was like okay well he lost this match um, but otherwise I stayed spoiler free and um, I thought it was uh, thought it was you know a really good show the thing that I thought was really interesting though is you know we talked about on the last show the three top matches at the best of the super juniors and those three top matches matched up very well against these three top matches at Dominion. Yeah, yeah, it was another another stellar show by New Japan. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, and I actually stayed uh, spoiler free, and I actually ended up watching most of it live, which is crazy. I was out late at night with a buddy, meeting up with a my old buddy Matt Delarosa, who was in town. So we we're just you know shooting the sh- shooting the shit, catching up. Then it was time to go home. It was late at night, and I just like, oh man, you know, the minions are right now, mm-hmm. and I'm not tired. I'm still kind of jazzed up. So I just, you know, came home, threw the Japan World on, streamed it to my TV, and I, I watched like 90 percent of it. But then like my eyes were getting heavy, and like, all right, I gotta go to sleep. I'll, I'll wait to watch the last two matches, you know, in plus, the morning. Plus, Hunter was gonna be awake in four hours. Yeah, the kids are gonna be awake. There's <laughs> just. And I was at, and it's, I don't know how I did it, but in the morning after the kids were awake and everything, I don't know what was going on, but I was able to pull it up on my iPhone and finish it off. So it was, uh, I got it done in the morning for all the spoilers, and and uh, I'm I'm glad. I, you know, it's so funny now. We, we live in a world where, like people like have to know everything. They want to be spoiled, and it's like. I kind of been enjoying like the last couple of years of just waiting and, and being on social media and just watching an event without being spoiled. Mm-hmm. Same with movies too. Like, you know, like when, uh, for example, when you know, episode seven, Star Wars Force Awakens is coming out, like I just like dive deep and I wanted like to read every little thing they had on it and the production, this and that, trying to find anything. And then for like Last Jedi, I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to watch anything other than like an official trailer from Star Wars. And, mm-hmm. And it just made the just the viewing just that much that's what that's much more better. And then same thing I do with wrestling now too. I just kind of like don't I just stay off social media and I just find the matches more enjoyable when you don't know the outcomes. So. Yeah, obviously to me, I, I agree with you. The I, I do have a problem watching a match where I already know what's going to happen because I, I, I I'm I, it's hard for me to sit back and watch it like it's fresh. So I totally I totally agree with you, which is why I now I can watch I can watch a wrestling match if I know the result, but if it's 
MMA or boxing, it's hard for me to watch if I already know the result. Mm-hmm. Just like I, I, I probably won't even watch it unless it's some fight that's everyone's raving about. I'd give it a shot, but for the most part, I'll just skip the event if I already know the results of who won the fights. So going back to Dominion, uh, what did you think of the, of the event overall? And you know, what what were your favorite matches from the from the show? I like the opener with uh, Mox and Umino. I thought that was a perfect little opener. Um, I enjoyed. Um, I thought Osprey and Dragon Lee was what I expected. I thought it was going to be wild and, and crazy, and they did what they, you know what they what it was advertised to do. You know, so I wasn't really disappointed in that match. Um, I thought that was really good, and the match that kind of like. Ugh, just made me cringe and cringe, and I was really uncomfortable watching it. it. Was Naito and Ibushi, and I just don't understand what the heck they were trying to do. Um, I know they're trying to be dangerous, but is it really worth it to be this dangerous? I mean, at German suplex on the apron, where where Ibushi clipped his neck, and then they did reverse ranas and spiked. Tombstone pile drivers that look nasty, and they you know Ibushi's had neck surgery. He's like thirty five years old, thirty six year old, whatever the heck he is. You know, like he's no spring chicken anymore. I mean, he's a phenomenal athlete. He's in great shape, but like that stuff's gonna have to catch up to him. And you know, he signed this long cr- contract with New Japan. They're they're planning on building around him, but like, will he be there like to build around? I mean, I don't know. You know. It's just it was really uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, I, I, it's just no need to to take those dangerous, dangerous moves. And it was kind of weird too because this like it was like the anniversary of like Masawa's death, and Masawa died in the ring, you know, and and a for you know accumulation of years of just head dropping and and you know and all that. So it was just. Just a weird. This is really uncomfortable, and I hope those guys don't take it to that level ever again. But I mean, I don't know. But Ibushi seems to like to try to kill himself very much. So I don't know. What did you think of that match? It was. <sighs> people were asking me about it. Like I know a lot of people hated it just because of the danger, and I think the way that I looked at it was. I, I, if I looked at it in two different ways one, was it a good match? I thought it was a good match two, was it way too dangerous? yes, it was way too dangerous and I think I could say that those things are sort of equally true um, because when you are a critic like like this is, this is a hard thing I'm sure for the, the wrestlers who are watching this back because they know sort of the ins and outs of how to make that match safer and whether or not if they could have taken a few things out, it may have even been better in their eyes. But for me, as a critic who is never wrestled, I can't look at it like that because I don't know what they would have done instead or where they would have gone with with a certain thing like that apron bump. Like I think it was supposed to, he was just supposed to flip over and land on his feet or something. Like I, I don't, I actually don't know exactly. But because I've never wrestled before, I can only look at it as sort of a, a landscape of what they did. And if you take out sort of the understanding of, oh yeah, he really got hurt on that spot. And then when he got 
when he dropped Naito on his head on that that pile driver. Like, if you take out the knowledge of that stuff, you can just look at it as an overall match. It was a really good match. But also, at the same time, because I'm not watching it like a 10-year-old kid would watch it, there are dangerous things in there, and you have to call those out and, and you know, call it for what it is. So I, I looked at it from both different ways, and I, you know, I could be... I could say it was both. It was both way too dangerous and it was also a really good match. And I think a lot of people are having problems with that because they want to say either they liked it or they hated it because of the the spots. I didn't I didn't hate it, but I was just very like just just like concerned, you know? Like it was very I and mean, the crowd was really into it and it was very dramatic cuz the part of that was so that danger you just didn't know like what was coming next and um that apron spot was i thought i mean i don't know what he's doing was he try, i don't know if he was trying to go for he's gonna be able to flip out and land on his feet or was he going for the masawa kibashi thing you know off the apron to the floor but this time it was just a german suplex to the dragon suplex um i i don't know what it just it was just ugh, that was so gross and seen it in slow motion just the uh, just like rattled me to the bone you know especially made my neck hurt my neck already hurt so um I don't know. I just hope they don't take it to that level. And, and but we've seen it with with Naito too, especially right. Like he's taking some dangerous stuff, and I wonder how much he's going to hold up in the future. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like both of them, it's it's. Uh, I I almost hope that they never have another match, <laughs> because for whatever it is, whatever they bring out of each other. You know that that's what that's what you get. Like we've we've seen how many matches with them now, and every single one of them has had crazy dangerous things in it. Yeah, I could just. I mean, I could see them doing the finals of G One this year. You know, them too. Um, I think that's a strong possibility if they're, of course, in seven brackets. I also could see Osprey and Ibushi in the finals too. But um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I kind of don't want to see them wrestling wrestle against that i'm scared what they're gonna do next yeah um that, that it it i think it also because of now, now the one thing you could say is because of how crazy that match was it may have hurt the main event a little bit because jericho and okada weren't gonna do stuff like that they were gonna have a brawl it was gonna be stiff it was gonna be a fight and i think the crowd was kind of so the feelings you know whatever feelings they had in that match you know then they had to come back for the Okada and Jericho main event um and I and I thought that match was was good too I I do sense that Jericho's shtick as as this sort of bruiser brody-ish heel um, maybe losing a little bit of steam with with the uh, New Japan fans, and I mean, you know, it's law of diminishing returns, right? Like he's probably coming back a little too frequently to really make that true impact that he can. But all that being said, I thought what they did was really good, and I actually liked the end of the match where he took Okada out and Tanahashi came after him, and we didn't get that interview because. He's a bad guy, and that's what bad guys do. Yeah, no, the match was good. It was, it was, it was a good match. Yeah, it's probably in a tough spot following Ibushi and Naito who just, you know, nearly killed each other. And I think the crowd was still buzzing from that, and they were just 
probably concerned about Ibushi's well-being. And I think also a problem, like you're saying, with Jericho, too, it's like they've seen us a little too frequently now. Yeah. And also, like, if I remember correctly, did he win his last match in New Japan, Jericho? I'm trying to remember. The... No, he lost to, didn't he lose the Intercontinental Championship yeah, to so, Naito? Yeah, so he, yeah, that's right. So I did remember that. So he did, so he did lose to Naito. And now Be- he's before been... that, he beat Evil. Before that, beat Evil. Yeah. yeah he defended the, title, the Intercontinental title against Evil. But then he lost to Naito, and now he's getting a title shot against Okada. Yeah. So I think, you know, in Japan, New Japan especially, you know, it's they take these the championship matches very seriously. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people today are very attractive to New Japan because, you know, a lot of the booking, you know, makes sense. And when the guys challenge for titles, it, it means something. And yes, Jericho is a, a big name. and But, like, I mean, to the fans, it's like this guy really doesn't need to deserve a title. I, like I said, I thought the match was good. Um it was missing something. What I don't know. I was impressed by the finish because Jericho did not take the Rainmaker, mm-hmm. and he got beat with a roll up. He got back, kicked the shit out of Okada, let the champion lane, and set up a match with Tanahashi in the future. Like to me, like the most impressive thing about that match was just how brilliant the finish was booked for Jericho. You know the. You know, even though he lost, he people don't remember that because he just beat the shit out of Okada, and now he's on to a match with Tanahashi. I just thought that that shit was brilliant, and that's probably all Jericho with that. And um, you know, I thought for sure we're just gonna get the Rainmaker, you know, but uh, there's a little more Jericho in New Japan, and I'm really looking forward to Jericho and Tanahashi. I'm just, uh, I think it's gonna be a, I think, I think might, I think it might be Jericho's best match in New Japan, like all said and done even better than the Omega one match because I think Tanahashi he's older obviously I think it's going to be like well it's going to be more of my match right it's going to be something I'm going to love watching because I think it's going to be really smart laid out well they're going to tell a great story you have you know a genius and Tanahashi and you got a great you know just almost just as good you know a great worker in in Jericho I think they're going to come up with some some great stuff, and I, I'm I'm actually I'm actually really really excited about that match. And whenever it takes place, um, once I saw their they shot that angle, and I was like, okay, that's definitely a match I just can't wait to see. And when it happens, I I wish, and this is where I wish, and we talked about this last week, where they have the the home and home with the AEW and New Japan because. I feel like they're going to come back with Jericho and Tanahashi a little bit sooner than probably necessary. And one way to hold that off for that Japanese crowd is to do the first match in the U.S. And there's just heat off of doing that match in the U.S., right? Because Jericho's the heel. And he if he did something or if he won, then you come back and the hometown babyface Tanahashi can get his win back. And like that's just stuff like that where it would be so interesting. And I think having Jericho come back and do it again sooner than later, I think is probably not the best. But, I mean, then again, you know, that they are... Um, the matches are good and they are, they are meaningful and he is a star. So I, I just... Just for his sake, 
I don't want him to burn out on that crowd so fast, but um, but that's part of the well, game, right? He's got to be able to he's got to be able to to reinvent and stay fresh. Like that's how you know the best Americans have done it historically, right? Yeah. Do you think they'll do it at, in Dallas? I don't think I don't think uh, Tony Khan would let Jericho wrestle in the U.S. for New Japan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was figuring that, but you know, New Japan's gonna want that for their audience anyways. But the, but you know, Dallas does need. I mean, I haven't seen the latest of how much the tickets are selling, if they're even picking up steam, but um, maybe they're hoping Moxley would be the one that kind of brings some extra fans up to that show. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think that's got to be it. Uh, and, and, yeah, the you know, last thing I'll say is, um, you know, it's funny because last Wednesday night we were talking about Osprey, and I was telling you about the conversations I was having with Big Dave about how Osprey's kind of becoming the Kenny Omega rather than Jay White becoming the Kenny Omega. And so then, like, I didn't know this, but Dave's lead story was literally about the evolution of Will Osprey. So, mm-hmm. like, he, like that was that was what he was thinking. And, and so, you know, then you watch Sunday's match and you're just like, you know, it, Will did everything he needed to do you know, to, to continue the ascent, uh, of where he's going. And he was fantastic. Um, I think that guy, you know, I, it's probably not that interesting of a prediction anymore to say it, because I think people have been saying this about him for a little while, but, you know, I withheld all the praise about him because I just found his style and we're talking pre- 2000 whenever uh 16 or whatever so when i saw him in dallas uh russell matt riddle and i was like okay i'm i'm i i've bought i i i'm buying stock in will now i I was really impressed with him but prior to that you know just watching some of the matches on on uh on youtube and stuff then that ricochet match is kind of the most famous one right and i was like i get it but it's still not the thing that i like about wrestling you know, some of the dives that he does out where he barely touches the guy and lands on his feet and then the guy takes a big bump. I'm like, why does the guy take the big bump? He didn't even touch him, you know? But uh-huh. but, the, but the flip is over the top rope is so amazing. So that's what the crowd pops for. But I do think that in the last, gosh, you know, just in the last year, year and a half, he's just become a, a different level of, of what he used to be. And that it's just been amazing to watch. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I'm starting to buy in on him too, and I'm really, I don't know, maybe it's because he's put on some size now, and he's he's just wrestling smarter. I mean, he still does the the great athletic stuff, and he does sometimes a little too much for me. But like, you know, he, he hits everything. He attacks with his flying. Um, he's he's. He still has the goofiness every once in a while, but I, I've been, but he's been like really, you know, bring a little more serious out there, a little more physical. So I'm starting to really get in on Osprey, and I, I think what this is going to be because you know they're doing two dome shows this year, mm-hmm. or they're, you know, I think, you know, I think it's going to be one is going to be Osprey and Naito for the Intercontinental title, and then you have Ibushi Okada for the heavyweight title. That's I, that's what that's why I think the. Yeah, one's gonna headline the other, so I think that's what they're gonna go with the double main event. And you know, I I think that's all really good, especially 
you know, I think some people want to see Osprey sort of take it to that next level because they saw how quickly Jay White jumped to that next level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think it's fine to see this slower ascent from junior heavyweight to open, you know, open weight to intercontinental champion, and then the crowd will feel like he, as a babyface, absolutely deserves to go to that next level. Whereas Jay, Jay White as a heel, he him going to that next level is actually, you know, getting him heat, even though he is really good as well. So I, th- I think that I think that's a really good way to go with Will. And uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun to, to see that happen because it's like anybody who's watched wrestling for the last, you know, three or four years and watches it from uh, the same... Uh, lens that we do, which is we try to watch as much as we can, and you know, you hear about these matches that happen in these, you know, different towns, and now they're all of a sudden on YouTube. You could almost say that, yeah, like we kind of saw like Will from the beginning, almost right. And so it's really cool when when you can see someone from the beginning come all the way through and then become a superstar. Like I, I think a lot of us feel the same way. Like for you and me, it's Austin, right? Because we got to see that TV. We got to read about him as like Rookie of the Year in PWI, and then WCW. We saw his whole run, and then we see his whole run in WWF. But it's also The Rock. You know, The Rock starts pretty much smack dab in in WWF. You know, in 1996 or whenever that was. The you know, unless you were watching the Memphis stuff as as uh, Flex Cavana. But it's the same thing. Like you get to see these guys start very early, and then you see them blossom into you know, the big star and it's all, you, you kind of feel like, ah, oh, like that was my guy. I got to see him go from the bottom all the way to the top. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, people, you know, wanting New Japan to rush Osprey to the heavyweight championship, you know, they don't understand, like you got to take your time with this story. You know, that's, that's not a story you need to rush. Um, it's definitely coming and it's going to be probably sometime in 2020. Um, I think him beating Okada would be the match. And, you know, I think, you know, Jay White's was a little different situation. They, you know, that, that spot was originally for Kenny Omega, but, you know, he filled that spot. And, um, but, and he's been good. I mean, Jay White was, uh, was been, been fantastic. But yeah, people will be patient. Osprey's definitely going to get championship and it's definitely going to be, definitely going to be in 2020. So let's change directions and talk about Super Showdown. I don't really want to talk about the whole show. I didn't even watch the whole show. I watched the um, the, the the non-Brock cash-in, and then I watched the main event. Um, the uh, you know this whole bait and switch thing with Brock is kind of annoying. I I the, you know we talked about this before with you know Brock having that that briefcase. He's literally like the Money in the Bank boogie monster, right? But the way that they're doing it, by having him fake cash in like every week, it just becomes annoying. And I, I you know, and I noticed some like there's some heat to that where, oh yeah, you know, we're just he's just pissing everyone off. It's it's like, yeah, but to what degree? Like, do you feel cheated? Because if you feel cheated for watching, then that's not the right heat. And that's how I feel thinking, you know, just listening to to the, how they're doing this and why they're doing it the way that they are it just seems like it's really cheap um and to actually have him work this show and he's like the highest paid guy on the roster and he probably made like a ton of money just to go fly out to saudi arabia and do 
the smallest thing on the show. It's like, why did he, why was he even there? Yeah, yeah, well, he's getting, he's getting his money, and and I thought it actually was pretty good. I actually liked the match. First, first of all, I liked really, I really did like the match with Seth Rollins and Baron Corbin. I thought it was really good, and I liked the situation with Brock, and I liked the you know I thought Heyman was fantastic when like cause I, when I first saw it, I thought oh shit he really trip, but then I quickly re- realized it was you know, a, you know, they planned it and. And, you know, it's nice to see Brock get his ass kicked, honestly. Um, he's been kicking everyone's ass for so long. And I think Seth really needed this. Um, it's unfortunate, though. That I, I, I would have saved this for Raw. I think it would have been a great way to end Raw when, you know, instead of, like, instead of, like, on the Saudi Arabia pay-per-view or a show that's, you know, not, no, no one's really going to watch it. Not, not a lot of people are going to watch it, in my opinion. Um, I think it would have been, been best saved for for raw but um you know seth needed it definitely and especially going forward with the program whenever they're going to wrestle you know because i know you know seth is still involved with court corbin which is kind of weird because he just beat him in saudi arabia but but uh but i watched most of it i actually you know because you know during my work hour you know my lunch hour i watched like an hour of it and i Ended up, I stay spoiler free and end up watching late that night. And um, fast forward some stuff. I didn't watch at the Battle Royal. Um, didn't really care for that. It's a nice feel good moment, but it's also, I mean, pretty much predictable, you know, moment. Uh, I didn't really, I don't, I'm just not into Kofi as a champion. I'm just, and just, so I skipped that. I don't know. I mean, I hope they had a good match, but I didn't, you know, I didn't watch it. Um, I, the Reigns Shane match is just. I I know they're trying to put all this heat on. It's like it's like putting all this heat on a non wrestler like Shane. Just just kills me to see him put over on Roman Reigns. He's got He's got He's got to win the title, right? That's the next step for Shane. He's gonna be. I think he's gonna be the next champion. Oh my goodness! I hope not. I mean, I like Shane, but I just don't think he should be put in that position. And just I know you know they 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 quote unquote protected Reigns by true McIntyre is the one that gave him the Claymore kick, but it's just. Ah, ah, I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. And I thought Finn Balor and Andrade would they had a good match, but you know to those people they don't they're, they're not stars. You know they didn't react to them. It was just you know you hear crickets out there, and they're they're out there doing a lot of great stuff, and it was a good match, but it's hard to rate it any higher than you know. You know you can't really say it's a great match when the crowd's not into it. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then now we're you know come to Goldberg. And The Undertaker, that was definitely something. <laughs> so, for the first three minutes of this match, I thought it was really good. I was kind yeah. of excited. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> and, okay, you, you need to tell me if, if what I'm seeing is correct, because I was very anti-Undertaker in this match. I thought... So, okay, so... They're setting up the tombstone. Goldberg has to jump into this dude's arms. Like, he literally jumped into Undertaker. Like, Undertaker didn't lean down to pick him up for the tombstone. Goldberg jumped into his arms. And so I thought, wow, like, I wonder if Undertaker's, like, really that beat up. Like, he couldn't even pick up Goldberg. Goldberg, like, had to do all of that work for him. And so 
when I saw that, I thought, okay, there's, there might be, you know, Undertaker can't do certain things and this could be rough. And obviously Goldberg, you know, bonks himself on the, on the, the thing on the, on the ring post. And, and I'm assuming he got a concussion from that. But even when, you know, the jackhammer, so if, if Goldberg is a little loopy on the jackhammer, also the Undertaker couldn't get up for it. And so I was like, man, this is really dangerous. And then in the uh, that that other spot that they had where Goldberg was going to set him up for the tombstone, and then I'm assuming Undertaker was going to, you know, the old uh, reverse deal. Yeah, the Sting and uh, who did Sting used to do that with all Scott the time? Scott Steiner. So I was like, okay, so we're now trusting Goldberg is a little loopy. We're now trusting the Undertaker to be able to control this, and he wasn't able to. And I'm just like, why are we putting these things in the match when for three minutes the thing was great and we could have been done with it and it would have been fantastic, even though I, I still think Goldberg should have won. I, we talked about this last week. I, I thought he should have won and they could have set something up for down the line. But I was just so frustrated watching this thing going like, A, why does they let the, why let this dude wrestle after he's like split his head open on the ring post? And B... If him and if 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 Undertaker needed so much help to do all of these moves, like maybe he shouldn't be in there wrestling because that that's why the match was so dangerous to me. Yes, it was. It's an unfortunate situation when you know Goldberg went for the spear, and I think he might have just hit his head on the on the uh, was it the the pad? Not the pad. It was the. The metal bar that's holding the, you know, that's going from the post to the uh-huh. to the turnbuckle, and I think because that's where his cut was so high up the back of his head, right? So I think he kind of hit there, and, and then and then um, and then bonk, you know, then he definitely had the concussion on on that one. Um, I think there's a lot of factors went into this match too, you know, the heat, as they kept talking about throughout the pay per view, you know, the heat in that ring was like I think they said like a hundred or you know, 99 to a hundred or something like that. So you have these guys who, you know, are probably blown up just from the heat alone. You know, these guys don't wrestle on a regular basis are older. Um, you know, had that factor in, um, yeah. Undertaker, you know, Goldberg jumping into the tombstone. I mean, helping the guy out and jumping up, you know, for body slams and whatnot is, is normal, but, it was like very mistimed and you can just obviously Goldberg jump into his arms and then Undertaker must have definitely has some issues with his strength because or been blown up and then and, and couldn't hold him. I, I definitely want to I definitely would have nixed the whole like reverse tombstone spot like I'm surprised Undertaker didn't he must have realized he was concussed and not all there um, should have ref stopped it should they done something to go on the finish sooner Yes, but, you know, when the referee asks the guy if he's okay, you know, and he's probably going to let this go. This is like the biggest match in the show. Yeah. Um, it He's probably, you know, don't. I mean, I won't put the heat on the ref. I, I kind of put the heat on whoever's in the back aging that match should have said something, you know, like, hey, this is, you know, going too far. We can just go, go with it. And then on the suplex, a jackhammer, which end up looking nasty because it looked like a, a killer brain buster. Yeah. Uh, you know, Goldberg's concussed. Undertaker went up heavy. Yeah. 
so it was a it was a combination of, of both, and it sucks because like on like like you said, like the first like few minutes was just awesome, and the crowd was into it because you know th- they know these guys, they're they're stars to this yep. crowd, so they're hot. So it just it just you know had a great feel. And I was getting I was up for it, man. I was like ready to see it go, and I it, it was the only one is the only match that I cared to watch, and it was all because they had Goldberg basically not fall for Undertaker shit on the SmackDown before. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that, okay, now we're, now we're talking, you know? Yeah, it's just an, it's just unfortunate to so much, so many different factors came into this match and and I, it just, I, I really don't want to see Undertaker wrestle anymore. Every time I see him wrestle, it's, it's always some, you know, he doesn't look good. He looks obviously slower and it just kind of kills the mystique of the undertaker. Right. Like, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm surprised he doesn't want to be, I mean, I, what do you do though? The money's so good, right? Like yep. you just can't like one more, one more payday, one more payday. And Vince gets on the phone talks to him and it's Vince. You're the guy that made your career, made you a millionaire. Right. So, you know, you just, you're probably going to do it, but, at the same time, it's like how many like bad performances does the Undertaker want to be known for going out? And I, I just hope uh, I just don't I don't think I don't think we need to see Undertaker again. Yeah, you know, other than if it was a spot where he shows up and chokes on someone, you know, something fun like that. But yeah, yeah. a full match and eh. the uh, the the one thing you know, I and I think the reason why I've been so. Um, protective of Goldberg is because immediately when that match ends, everyone wanted to blame him and say that he was washed up, he sucks, he should never be in the ring again. And I was like, I would rather see Goldberg wrestle 10 more times before I'd rather see The Undertaker wrestle again. And there's nothing against The Undertaker. I just think he's so beat up that it's not fun. And, And if you're a fan of the guy... And you see him, like you said, you see him now, you're just like, man, like, this sucks, <laughs> right? I'm depressed watching this guy. Like, you remember the Reigns main event at WrestleMania? That was a tough watch, you know? And he hasn't really had a good performance in a very long time. This last Saudi Arabia show, the tag match with uh, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, I mean, oh. that, was, that was bad, too, you know? And um, speaking of Triple H, I thought uh, him and Randy Orton had a really good match, too. I really liked that match a lot. And it was cool to see Randy Orton go over clean with the RKO. So it went probably, you know, typical. Like, it went, like, probably, like, five minutes too long, you know. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like, if you like, you know, great match between really good professional wrestlers. You know, that was a really nice quality match. So I, I barely watched any of Raw. I didn't watch uh, – I actually watched a little bit more of SmackDown – than um than I did of Raw, but the the thing that I wanted to call out was uh, Dave Dutra and AJ Kirsch got a nice little segment on SmackDown that was really cool. Yeah, that was that was really cool, and I'm, ha- I'm happy for those guys. And and it's been you know on social media, and people are making beams and gifts out of it, and that's that's cool. You know, it's it's, it's cool, and uh, I'm really happy for them. And then uh, if you if you quickly. Uh, there, there was a Bailey thing where she was coming out, and you could see Marcus Mack in the back. He's in this like sweet pimp daddy suit, so that was really cool too. Uh, but yeah, that's fun. It's fun when when that stuff happens when you can see your buddies, uh, you know, doing stuff that they love. So that that was really fun. Yeah, all the local guys. You know, it's always 
it was always fun when they come to town and see what local guys cameos and which guys on social media gonna screenshot him. I'm in the back, <laughs> you know. Like it's always entertaining. So the only other thing in wrestling that I wanted to talk about a little bit, just to get your thoughts on this, was uh, they they mentioned that Fighter Fest, which is AEW's next show in conjunction with uh, the convention or whatever that that, that, that it's in conjunction with, um, they announced that it's going to be free on Bleacher Report Live, which is kind of cool. Like, just the idea that, you know, if you, if you bought Double or Nothing, it's almost like, you know, it, as, as a bonus, you get to watch this free. And if you didn't buy Double or Nothing and you heard about Double or Nothing, it's like, now you can test drive Fighter Fest. The only thing that I thought was, and this is just the change of of how wrestling is today versus how it was back in the day, is I would have actually made it like 30 bucks. And the reason why I would have made it 30 bucks is because you have a hot product and you don't, like, like, if you were to give away a show, you give away the one that is sort of your first one so that people could test it. You've already found out that, you know, 100,000 people are willing to pay for your product. So you don't need to do that free test anymore. And so, you know, I would have put this thing, you know, for 30 bucks streaming and got those, hopefully those 100,000 back, maybe a little bit less. But just from a sort of marketing standpoint, I kind of worry about giving this show away for free when you've already proven that you have a fan base who will pay for your product. Yep, that's very true. I, mean, I was kind of surprised. I mean, at one, 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 on one hand, I see what they're trying to do. They're putting out this for free, and maybe those people that decided they, you know, they heard the buzz about Double or Nothing, they weren't going to tune in. Maybe they'll, now they'll they'll tune in and 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 you know pay, pay for the next pay per view all, all out. And also for Bleach Report too, like getting new people to sign up to their streaming service it's free all you need is your name and email mm-hmm. um i just hope to god that they just put this stream up right after it's over <laughs> yeah like waiting 24 hours my goodness uh it's gonna be a fun show uh did you, did you watch the road to fighter fest you watched no i haven't watched any of it yet so i didn't watch the first episode but i just happened to be like on youtube on my lunch break and and you know the little link popped up on my you know, recommendations to check out, and I, I I checked out the the episode two of that, and they did this really good feature on Darby Allen. And honestly, I never really cared for Darby Allen at all. I never had any interest in him. Was Dar- was Darby Allen trained by Buddy Wayne? I, you know, Brian probably would answer could answer that for us, but uh, I don't know. I just don't. I mean, I just didn't didn't really get into his character i mean he mm-hmm. took some dangerous risks and 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 all that stuff but i just never really like wanted to see him wrestle i guess you know like but but after this like interview and this 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 video they did like it really got me into his character who he is and and um uh it was really well really well produced and if this stuff is going to be their tv i'm down you know like is it you know i mean stuff like this like this like i always thought like a good show would be like doing a basically like a 24 7 or a countdown usc mm-hmm. style and then you had the event right 
So I don't, I don't know what they're, you know, what, what they're planning to do. But like, if they're gonna, I hope they produce more and more and more of these videos for the TV show, because they're, they're just fantastic, and and this really, you know, they're doing a really good job with these. But I mean, are they reaching the the, the wider audience? No, but like, it's for their it's for their fan base. But I think they should kind of replay. They definitely replayed this video when it comes to TV, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. So. Mm-hmm. So I mean I'm definitely gonna watch that show. It's uh, it's free, so I'll watch it, and um, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty good. The the second concern I have with the show is being that it's a smaller house, and they're not uh, they're not charging for it on the stream. I do wonder if that means the production values go down and the camera work and all that stuff it, because if that goes down then the people who are trying your product out for free may be wondering like oh like you know what like, like what i heard about on double or nothing or what i saw on youtube was like looked way better than this like and and so i wonder about that part of it as well true i think it's a good it's a good concern but i, I hope not because you know, that would look, that would look really good. I know it's a big arena mm-hmm. and everything, so we'll see how their setup is. This event is, but um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think they're. I think I think it'll be fine. I think it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be a smaller crowd for sure, but I think I hope it's lighted as well as they did Double or Nothing because they'll, they'll have a big crowd there. So I think they should definitely show that crowd. That's at the end of the month, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a fun one. Um, okay, so. I wanted to just make one mention, which is uh, a website, or it's actually an app and a website that I really enjoy is called The Athletic. And they originally started in a couple of markets, and basically the idea was they were going to sign a lot of the favorite local writers, give them a uh, basically an outlet to write longer pieces and uh, you know, newspaper industries like, you know, the, the newspapers aren't making any money, so their websites are all ads and short articles and video things and stuff. And so the athletic wanted to just bring back the writing, and that was kind of their their motto. Uh, and so when the athletic came out in the Bay Area, I f- first day had a subscription. I was in, and I've had it ever since. And they just recently started verticals for MMA. They hired guys like Ben Folks and Josh Gross, um, Chuck Mendenhall, and boxing. Uh, they have Lance Pugmire and Rafe Bartholomew and Mike Coppinger. And so, you know, my sort of local flavor sports app now has MMA and boxing content right in the middle of all my, you know, articles on the Warriors and the Giants and some national stuff with Ken Rosenthal and so it's a really interesting thing. I almost feel overwhelmed that, that there's too many, too much stuff for me to read. But um, if you you know if you like if you miss reading longer pieces, I, I think it's a really great uh, it's a, it's a really great price and it's a great app. And they also do podcasts. And I'm assuming the boxing and the MMA verticals will also have podcasts. And so just, you know, just it, it's they make it very easy to try out it. You know, they get there's tons of deals, you know, 40 percent off for the year or you could try it for three bucks or whatever. And I think I still am only paying like seven bucks a month or something. So 
if you are into reading about your local teams and and you know the a lot of the sports you know they they cover the NFL and the MLB and and boxing and college hoops and college football all that stuff uh you know fantasy baseball but you know give it a shot because i think a key for a lot of a lot of these boxing and MMA websites and you know maybe at some point you know if if they find enough quality writers who don't only want to write about WWF, so they give them free tickets or free media passes when they come to town. Um, <laughs> are uh, you know it's just supporting supporting writing and and strong writing. I think is is, is 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 what I like to do. But you know, just the the opportunity to see this thing grow, and if it does, then hey, you know, there's more money in writing and sports writing and quality writing. You know, I, Sports Illustrated I think is now every other week. Like, remember when we were kids, like, Sports Illustrated is the magazine, right? Yep. And uh, ESPN, the magazine, defunct. Like, it's no longer. So a lot of these, you know, there's so many changes in the game. I, I really hope the athletic succeeds. And, and, you know, now they got boxing and MMA. And, you know, maybe one day they'll uh, they'll pay a big Dave enough to bring the Observer over. Probably not. <laughs> Dave, would, Dave would never give up the current Observer, I don't think. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah, I just wanted to kind of let people know that, that that was out there just in case they hadn't heard. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're getting like an all-star list of writers, right? You yeah. Know? So, I mean, I, I, you know, I listen to the radio on KBR. They're really always promoting the athletic and some great articles on there. And that's great that they're having deep dives, you know. Like, that's one of the disappointments of, like, when I go to read an article, it's just, like, very little. Yeah. Gist. I mean, it's, so, the, it's the bleacher report effect. Which is, let's give fans the opportunity to become writers. And in some cases, you know, it, it becomes a really good place for, for them to sort of learn the game. And, and you can turn folks into, into really strong writers. Like, uh, for the Warriors, there's a guy by the name of Ethan Strauss. And he's a really smart guy. But he got his start writing for... Uh, warriorsworld.com which was an ESPN blog uh, that for the Warriors and you know my, my buddy uh, Sheed runs he runs the social for them and and uh, I think he's kind of taken charge of that website but Ethan Strauss now writes for The Athletic so writers can come from you know these, these uh, bloggy blog type places but Basically, what Bleacher Report did was they put the amateurs up front, and uh, and I think it kind of dumbed down the writing, or like at least the expectation of what people wanted to to read. Because you, you know, oh, you know, you know, wrestling fans, um, you know, are constantly sort of told, oh, you know, you're not smart enough. Thus, you know, no wrestling books are coming out because wrestling fans can't read and that kind of thing. And I think what Bleacher Report did is it just dumbed down the expectation. And now it's all about just, you know, you don't really have to read to comprehend. You're just kind of like skimming for highlights. And, and that's become like what you said is what, what sports writing can, can kind of be, especially in this Twitter and Facebook uh, environment. And so that's why I support it because, you know, I grew up reading – you know, newspaper columns and long form writing in Sports Illustrated, uh, and um, you know, Bill Simmons writing. You know, these fifty thousand you know word columns is like God. This thing's going on forever, um, and so you know, I support it. So I, I hope they do well, and and uh, all of the all of the kudos that come to 
being able for me to just open up my phone and read like really good writing. It's kind of amazing in 2019. Um, so a couple of, uh, we're not going to deep dive into this at all, but I, I just wanted to make mention that uh, after, you know, we talked about Andy Ruiz beating Joshua, doing and I had that uh, that conversation on, on uh, the first segment of our show last week. Uh, Tyson Fury fights this weekend, so he's on ESPN. If you are interested in watching the Gypsy King, he is he is uh, he's going to be uh, highlighting their coverage this weekend. Um, is that on going to be on the Plus? I think so. I think it's going to be on Plus. Um, and uh, Triple G beat Steve Rolls uh, on DAZN, and uh, you know so he. I think they're trying to set up Canelo and Triple G, which is which should be what they do because that's kind of the biggest fight that they have to, to, to gain fans. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, this, it's, it's so crazy because, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I felt like I could watch as much boxing as I wanted to because ESPN and USA, you know, always had fights every week. And now there's literally like two or three cards that you can watch depending on what you subscribe to every week and it's almost again it's like overwhelming because i'm like oh can i can i you know am i gonna be able to watch tyson fury oh no and then there's another fight um uh, on during the day coming from the uk i believe and so it's just like you know you could literally just like stay home and watch boxing all day on saturday if you wanted this weekend it's crazy that's great ah, that's great that's great because you know it's, it's nice it's nice to see boxing kind of popularity go up I, I, get, I see a lot more casual fans are talking about these fights so it's, it's good to see and there's a lot of good action out there and I think a lot of do that people catch me I'm, people talk about stuff that they see on the big box right the premier boxing stuff and and you know, people at work talk about oh, the fight they catch so I think it's really cool alright so I think we're ready for the 20th ever episode of Monday Night Raw and who do we see as Shawn Michaels walks down before the the show even starts, or I guess it is the official show, is Big Daddy Cool Diesel, though he doesn't have a name yet, and he's looking really tall, kind of, I think he's in like a warm-up suit, silent, shades, Shawn's, Shawn's second, and I didn't remember when this had happened, I, I actually, I kind of remember when this happened, but... You know, obviously, to me, it's like, oh, that's the joke who was Oz and Vinny Vegas, big whoop, right? Like coming from WCW. And then, you know, he turns into a credible guy for, for Vince, though, you know, I wouldn't call him necessarily the the best you know, champion or anything like I think he was probably actually a a a, dec- a failure as champion for WWE at least in that that beginning because they were when they pushed him so hard. But you know, he 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 figures out how to become a star in WWF and then goes back to WCW and becomes one of the biggest stars you know in the Monday Night War. So it's just kind of funny how that happens where he utilizes Vince's ability to turn people into uh, into stars and then he goes back to where he came from to, to get the most money and like wrestling is such an interesting industry in that way but before we we talked about the rest the or you know all this segment and stuff 
give the, give a little bit of background on when you first saw Kevin Nash and and like your thoughts about him because we we were watching the same stuff at the same time, you know, with master you know with the master blasters and stuff like that. But it always seemed like for whatever reason, Dusty saw money in Kevin Nash and for whatever reason, it just didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I first, of course, I first saw him as a Master Blaster. Um, they were basically a Road Warrior knockoff, right? The Road Warriors left, so they were brought in by Oli, I assume, because Oli was booking at the time in, you know, 1990s. So, he, you know, like typical Oli, you know, booking cheap, big guys and the master blasters debuted against um tim horner and brett armstrong in the fall brawl 90 class champions and it was one of the worst debuts ever in pro wrestling history not by kevin nash he was just a big green seven footer but this poor guy who was his partner steel i don't know his real name ends up having one of the worst performances he completely misses moves and i mean he's in there with horner and brad armstrong and they can't even say the day they do their best it was not, it was not, it wasn't a total shit show but like just that one guy's performance itself was really bad so he was so embarrassed he quit the business and um al green became master breast blade and he put a veteran with the big guy so it ended up doing a little better but they didn't really took off or did anything and he they tried him as a single didn't do much as just the master blaster and then they repackaged him as Oz wow what a (laughs) what a gimmick to get and didn't really do much with that can I tell you can I tell you my Oz story which is I think I've mentioned this on on a previous episode of the show but so I I can't it may have been super brawl but uh, so we're picking we're picking winners for the for the matches, and it's Oz against Ron Simmons, and me and my buddy Ed, we we get it like they're they're like showing vignettes of of Oz like all the time, they're doing the whole entrance they you know they they they're spending a lot of money on this character, and we're like oh. He's got to beat Ron Simmons. Like, Ron Simmons is there to put Oz over so that he looks like a million bucks. And so me and Ed, we put down Oz for our picks. And uh, our neighbor, who's a casual fan, but would watch the shows with us. And, he, you know, he's the one with the black box. He's like, I got I got Ron Simmons. And we're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? There's no way. And then we watch the match and Ron Simmons wins. We're like, oh, my God, what the hell just happened? So that's, that's my Oz story. When I was like, I can't believe... I like they they juked me out like that. Yeah, that was that great record batch ninety. And um I too was surprised, but then, you know, Dusty had a plan. He's building up uh, Ron Simmons to be the challenger to Lex Luger who's going to win the title that night. So but yeah, they told they, they gave up on Nash quickly. And I think Nash actually tried to quit. I don't and at one point it was like Think about getting out of business, and I want to say I was either Dusty or Bill Watts, one of the two, maybe both. You know, convincing to keep it, keep at it, and keep going, and and Vin, and Bill, Bill Watts, excuse me, he repackaged him 
what was the hint that repackages Vegas? Sorry, excuse me. Dusty Rhodes repackages Vinny Vegas, but like Bill Watts actually liked him and gave him somewhat of a undercard push as Vinny Vegas. And with Vinny Vegas, you know, it was funny looking back at those matches that he had, and you could see like the smart alecky jokester Nash come out in Vinny Vegas. Um, you know, even though he had that try to have that. New York kind of like because you mafia kind of mm-hmm. uh, you know over the top voice but but you can see like he was just being his, a little more of his this funny side coming out and then I believe he once again you know was in contact with someone got in contact with Sean re- recommended him as a bodyguard and you know, Nash ended up getting his notice and basically telling him I'm gonna quit the business, I'm not gonna do anything, you know, I'm just you know, it's not for me. And up getting his notice and get you know, getting his release from w- WCW and then ends up showing up in WWF as uh the insurance policy for uh Shawn Michaels. So and look at the way that started and, and end up you know, he ended up having a, a good career in WWF and you know, ended up being a coming of course a bigger star in WCW. And a lot of people don't really understand Remember that you know Diesel was one of the worst drawing WWE champions of all time, and it's just pretty funny how people will put him over as a great star, but he wasn't really that much of a draw at all. And um, so Sean wrestles against the great Ross Greenberg, uh, and so he's back. He's back. He's back, and and also back is Sean's Intercontinental Championship. So when does he beat Marty for the strap? They said the night before. It'd be so. Is this if this episode is June fourth and it's June third that you won the title in Albany, New York, from? Uh, and did from they t- did they tape this? No, I don't, there's never been footage of it. I, I don't think so. Unless someone has a handheld. Um, I like I, this was stuff I miss, like tuning in and like seeing some title change that happened on the house show. Like, like I thought that, like, I remember this, I remember this episode. I remember when Sean came out with the title, I was like, Oh man. And Oh my God, there's that, there's Vinny Vegas from WCW. <laughs> you know, like I just, I just missed that, that mystery. Like what's going to happen when you tune in, you know, the next week. So, and, and Sean was fantastic. I just don't just feel like WWF in 1993 is a Sean show mm-hmm. for the most part. Like, mm-hmm. He's all over the place on these Raws, and so weird that Hogan's like nowhere to be found on on the go home Raw before uh, for the pay per view. Yeah, yeah, because Vince teased that Hogan was going to be on at the end of the last show, and Hogan's not on. No, he's not, and it's just just maybe they're like you know Hogan's. They know Hogan's going to be gone after. You know, after King of the King of the Ring when he drops the title, and they're just like, let's not promote him as much, you know, let's not promote him as hard as as we, you know, they they want to because he's staying, he's not staying, he's leaving. But it's weird because like you're that's your big match going to the pay per view, so I think you still would want to promote it, you know, hard. It's just it's very weird. So, uh, so so HBK. Beats uh, beats is he did he beat him with a pile driver? Yep, beat him, yeah, pile driver. Beat him with a pile driver. Um, and so King of the Ring, they're they're saying it is uh, it is next week, and and the key to 
this match was that originally it was going to be Sean against Crush in a regular match, but now that Sean is champion, he's got to defend the title. And when Gene, Mean Gene, mentions this in his King of the Ring report, um, Sean comes back out to scream at Vince and basically tell Vince that Vince is jealous of him. That's why he's screwing with his life. He, he, he should get to enjoy his newly won Intercontinental Championship, two-time Intercontinental Champion. And, uh, and so he, him yelling at Vince and, and, uh, and you know, now he didn't call him out as, as, as the boss or anything, but it, it, was, it was pretty interesting because he just kept saying, you know, that Vince was jealous of him, which I don't, I don't know exactly where that came from, but uh, <laughs> kind of interesting because, you know, they would have uh, quite the relationship over the next few years. Yeah, I really liked how um, the segment led the, the the event center or or the what do you call it the WWF magazines yes King of the Ring report I guess they they were calling it um, I, I love how it flowed into this segment with uh, Sean be upset you know t- t- just simple stuff but like I thought it flowed really well and so the next segment is uh, Adam Bomb against El Matador. So Johnny Polo comes out this time with Adam Bomb, and I'm try- I was trying to figure out what his getup was. So he's wearing this super colorful shirt that actually resembles Mrs. Roper's Moo from Three's Company, but it was actually a T-shirt instead. And then he's got like a Kangol hat on, and he's got like lacrosse gloves and a stick. Like, what was what was the idea? What 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 was the getup? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really understand Johnny Polo. <laughs> yeah, other than he he was very entertaining on commentary. I thought I really liked his commentary. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I never like I never took him serious as a manager, and I always remember he was a good wrestler. So I always thought like, why isn't he wrestling? You know. And like imagine the Quebecers just seemed weird, but I don't know why they thought he was just maybe because his 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 height and size they just thought him as a as a manager with his with with because he can talk really well, but yeah, just he just looked he just looked kind of goofy out there. And this match was you know solid match between Adam Bomb and the you know the veteran Tito Santana, but. This is where I think maybe a squash would have been good for Adam mm-hmm. Bomb than like a longer match. It kind of was just a little too long, but I don't know if they wanted to squash Tito. That they have too much respect for him for his position. But I think you know it would have been cool to see him destroy a, a well-respected veteran. But it's not not you know this went a little long and like him taking arm drags and stuff. And yeah, you know, he's supposed to be this monster. Just just look look kind of goofy to me. The. Uh... This the Tito's forearm was sweet though, like when he hit that forearm and 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 uh, he, uh, bomb k- kicked out at two. I thought that was forearm was so sweet. Uh, when uh, when Tito became changed from Tito Santana to the El Matador, his finish changed. Like he did this thing where the guy bent over and like he punched him on the back of the head. Yeah, uh, and, and so I think it was called the El Paso de Marte or something like that. Yeah, it's it's like go oh, like you're sticking the spears into the bulls. Yeah, neck, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Heenan used to crack me up because he would call it the El Paso de Salsa. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was cool. that, that that was the best part of the match when when Bomb kicked out of the uh, the flying forearm. Yeah, it's great. And you know, that's a you know for for 
I'm sure at the time it was a big deal for us watching that because, you know, when he hit that, it was over, right? So, yeah, but that was a compromise. Like, he's not going to squash Tito, but he's also going to be able to kick out of the uh, kick out of the flying forearm. So, but I still would have preferred a big, a big squash. I did like the finish. I did like the backwards, uh, you know, uh, Tito feeding backwards into the slingshot clothesline. I thought that was really cool. So we didn't talk about this when uh, Adam Baum debuted, but give a give a little background on where he was before he came to WWF in '93. He was in Smoky Mountain with Jim Cornette as a Night Stalker. That's the, the name that he used before he um, came into. I don't know where he was wrestling before before WCW, but in 1990, once again, another big guy Ole Anderson brought in on the cheap because he's green and I remember seeing a nice soccer at WCW and I was like oh man this guy looks awesome because he did and he, he you know he was just what like 6'5 or something like that just looked just looked great he was just so green and then he had that famous match with uh, Sid Vicious on Clash Champions 90 and it was so bad it was like four minutes of crap you know like both guys were just you know Sid can't carry a green guy and and it was just ugly it was like one of the worst maps you gotta see it um and you know he was just you know he was brought in and then didn't do much and weird in 1991 at Battle Bowl someone was hurt I think it was Scott Hall was hurt as Razor Ramon the Diamond Set was hurt and out came Night Stalker to replace him. It was just a weird thing. Like Scott Hall and that you know, Davis was out there with the arm in a sling and and you know, Night Stalker took his spot. And then he ended up going to Smoky Mountain, part of Kevin Sullivan's ghouls, and, you know, with his, you know, fee with uh, Brian Lee. And then like, you know, Smoky Mountain became like a feeder system to the WWF and he went off to uh he went off to WWF as Adam Bomb. And you know, with with Smoky Mountain, he showed a lot more improvement out there. And you know, Cornette was you know always good about booking him with guys, and and he definitely got better working that territory. Even though Razor closes the show, Vince gives away the punchline for Razor's interview during this match by saying Razor has upped the ante to seven thousand dollars in his uh, in in trying to get the 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 kid back into the ring. So Tatanka faces a guy by the name of Peter Weeks. Did you know Peter Weeks? Peter Weeks is not. I I think I've seen him before, but nothing nothing about him stood out. I don't remember anything. He did anything significant or what Ex- territories he worked or anything. Except that he was really bad. Yes, he could see a little frustration in our friend Tatanka. Yeah. With this one, I don't think he even gave him the. Uh, he, I don't think he felt confident enough to give him the. Uh, end of the trail smoke drop and yeah. he just gave him the big top rope uh, chop and call it a day but like yeah Peter Weeks was not positioned for a lot of stuff late to a lot of stuff Tonka had to go get him and you could see like Tonka was very very frustrated but also not to the point where like the casual fans would probably notice it but like if you're like really looking for stuff like that like I do like I could just you could just tell he was like, this is a bad day at the office. But he, he made the best out of it, and he made sure Tony Weeks felt some of those chops. I mean, he always delivers nice, great, hard chops, but there's a little, there might have been a little extra on some of those. 
And uh, then the King's Court, so we see Jerry Lawler come out, and he runs down uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. The heels, the heels are starting to do that a little bit more. Savage is... I feel like it hurts Savage a little bit, though, because, you know, now he's an announcer... But, man, if you talk shit about Randy Savage any time before, like, he's going to come fight you, and he just has to take that stuff now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know you're right. Yeah, Macho, he can't really do much as, unless it's going to be something to where they're going to leave the angle, and he's not. They're not They're not really into him wrestling, which is just so bizarre because he's still so really good. Yeah. You know, we we'll continue to have, a, you know, a lot of great matches later on in WCW. Um, first of all, Jerry Lawler in that sweet pink gear. Mm-hmm. Woo, look great. Look like a star because he's a star. And was that like a little uh, foreshadowing to what's going to happen to the King of the Ring? Yeah, that, that, that was uh, that was interesting because he did mention that he is the true king and no matter what happens at King of the Ring. <clears throat> um, so, so Yoko comes out with Mr. Fuji and they're trying to uh, they're trying to get over the fact that Yoko is bulking up for this match against Hogan <laughs> And Hogan is actually slimming down for the match. And so Mr. Fuji's trying to do some weird math to show that Yoko is bulking up. And he said something like he eats 30 pounds of rice a day and 100 pounds of meat. Like, what? <laughs> like, you, you said, uh, I think you said last week that, you know, Fu- Fu- Fuji's not doing a great job here. And that's why, you know, they, they would eventually bring in in Jim at a later time to, to do some of this talking. But yeah, he was he was frustrating because here's your go-home main event show and you have Mr. Fuji doing the old Fuji shtick, uh, not making any sense whatsoever. And I'm just like, could, like, why, why? Like, why did... I guess it's because Hogan's not there, but like, what did this segment do uh, for Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji, you know, doing the talking? Yeah, this might have missed this, this segment where Vince is like, "Okay, we need to get we need to get someone here to with Fuji for Yoko, right?" Um, first of all, Lawler is just stealing the show with this interview. Of course, so, I mean, he's such a great talker; he's going to do that, especially with two guys who are not good talkers. And but you also can see like the frustration on Fuji's face, like. Fuji's ready to do his lines where he's going to say right? <laughs> and Lawler just keeps talking and talking and talking. And, like, Fuji finally just cuts him off. And I don't know if that was planned. It didn't seem like it because it was very, like, very, like, cheech up right in there and started talking. And, and Lawler shut up and let him do his thing. But, like, yeah, for a go-home promo, mm, not good at all. And... And I was waiting for Hogan to have his promo or show up or do something, and just nothing happened. It was so weird. And in the main event match, you had Billy Gunn and Rick Steiner against IRS and Fatu. And they announced Billy Gunn at 250 pounds. Mm. And I was just thinking, like, I just saw this dude at StarCast, and if he's 250 in this match... He's like 320 now today. Like they're like cuz he's so skinny in this match compared to what he looks like today. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's massive now. And he was massive when I got to work with him in 2006. Like like a I'll like, I might have stole the story already, but like I'll never forget we picked him up at the airport, picked up Road Dog, picked up Billy Gunn, 
And we drove to the building in Bakersfield, Bakersfield Dome. Before then, guys want to eat, right? So we go to Denny's, and, like, Billy Gunn's at the head of the table. And we're all sitting there, and I'm just looking. And it's a nice, bright day, and the sun's, like, shining through the, the, the front door of this Denny's. But I shit you not, dude. Like, he blocked out the sun. That's how <laughs> wide he was. I just remember seeing, like, holy shit, man. He is a massive, massive dude. And a great dude, by the way. And, like, he ate all these eggs. <laughs> like, I just, like, he was, like, chowing down. And I'm just, like, looking over and, like, thinking, like, oh, my God, this guy is huge. And, like, he's going to land on me. He's going to hurt. And, oh, my God, I'm in for a night. Nope. Famouser was about as light as Kamala's big splash. And such a pro, man. That guy, I think the world of Billy Gunn. And and I like smoking guns. And so it was, and I like I like skinny Billy Gunn too, because I thought he was really good. And you could tell he was really good. And you could tell, like, he had a feature past the smoking guns. And I like this match overall. You know, it wasn't anything, it wasn't a barn burn or anything, but like, like, I like the idea. Like, you have this eight-man tag, come up with a pay-per-view, so then you take one of each team, member yep. of each team, and have them as a... I thought this was a fun, creative thing. It was a fun match. I, I think Scott Steiner is hurt, right? Maybe. Maybe that's why they did that, but uh, but I'm not sure. I know he's just looking massive himself. Oh, my stuff. God. He was, he was gigantic. <laughs> is he actually in the match at King of the Ring? I believe so. Yeah, he, he wrestled because it's an eight-man tag. Yeah. And but you know I'm I'm definitely gonna watch Avery now because I'm excited. Oh yeah, and uh, we'll have to review it next week. But um, uh, we'll see what how what he does in that match. I know it's a short match; it's not long because it's a you know they have a tournament and everything else in between. So we'll see if he gets in there and what he does in that in that Amen tag when we rewatch it. So there's a couple things going on here during this match. DiBiase is on the outside, and he keeps trying to give. Uh, off of money like presumably so that they do better <laughs> like was but was there like a miscommunication or something like that maybe a little early on they went to break and and then kind of calm the waters between the Samoans yeah okay that, that might have been it. like they're offering him money and then like Afa takes it and eats it which I thought was cool which I which is funny I'm watching I'm like it'd be funny if he just eats it because mm-hmm. he's such a savage right mm-hmm. And uh, Samu's face was like, no, no, <laughs> you do, don't eat the, don't eat it. But I was a little disappointed with, you know, Blue Million Dollar Man. Why you got the fifties, bro? The hundred dollar bills, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the the heat is on the heels, uh, double teaming Rick in the outside. So DiBiase is getting involved. Every time, you know, Scott comes over to save and the referee only catches Scott. He's got to go back. And so they keep beating up Rick. And then finally, Rick makes a hot tag to Billy Gunn. And then the finish is Billy Gunn is, is he looking at DiBiase? Is that where he kind of got caught off guard? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, DiBiase. So he's looking at DiBiase and then IRS comes right behind him with like a, just a, just a vicious clothesline to the back of the head, and then he pins uh, Billy Gunn. So yeah, it's, I, was, I was kind of shocked by that because I was just thinking like they're just they're still new. So I just figured this match is going to break down and like you know appear six brawl and just the you know 
this wild melee, you know, instead of like someone being pinned. But that that was interesting to see the smoking guns beat so early. It like I feel like, and, and you know, maybe it's just because I don't remember all that well, but like uh, IRS and DiBiase, the, I mean, they've just been looking great. Like they've just been looking like top guys, like you know, at, like like real top guys at, as this tag team, you know, since we since we've been doing these raw shows. Yeah, I think, I think Money Inc. is like one of the most underappreciated tag teams. You know, a lot of people when you think great tag teams, you don't kind of you don't remember them. And I mean, you got two guys who are just phenomenal inside that ring. You got DiBiase, who's the complete package, right? The wrestler, the personality. And you got Rotunda, who with this gimmick, kind of like brought out his personality, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it, it or it, it, it highlighted his personality and emphasized on with you know. I think he was perfect as IRS. Like I remember at first when I saw him, like oh, IRS, this is ridiculous. And then like he ends up having like the best run of his career, you know, made the most money at least when you know with this gimmick. Yeah. And and yeah, they were a really good team, and I just think they ever had that killer match. Maybe on that pay per view, you know, because like you know they had what they had, <laughs> matches Hogan and Beefcake at WrestleMania nine. That was that was that was garbage, and and this match is just like eight man tags. So it doesn't really feature them that well, and then like the title matches with the title changes with the Steiner brothers happened on the house show, and like the match I only remember like them having a and then they had a really fun cage match like going into like. SummerSlam in '93, but other than that, like it with the Steiner brothers, it wasn't like nothing. Like didn't have that great match. They well, they had a match. They had a long program with the Natural Disaster that was you know wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. So they just didn't have that 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 great match that people remember and can look back to and say, hey, they were a great team. But they were, and I'm sure you know. And you're right. I mean, I'm glad you pointed that out because you know they both both felt like top guys, and they felt like they had like more a lot more give and then we will soon find out in a few months that you know DiBiase's gone and and IRS is back in the singles and so the last bit of this show is Razor Ramon coming out and basically saying that the stick man will face <laughs> him next week because how, how, it's not possible for him to give up $7,000 he said he, he for seven thousand dollars, every one of the fans in the building would stand on their head naked. That's that that that's how that's how much money that is, and that's why wow. the kid will not give up this opportunity. Yeah, he has to take. He has to take the match. The kid, come on, man. I'm taking it for Sunday. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. So that's Raw Twenty. I actually, um, I really like this show again. Like it's it's so it's so condensed and it's so fun and I, I watch some of this stuff and I go if Vince like this obviously we, we've been saying time and time again this was a really down period for wrestling right but even in some of the stuff that they're doing I still find Vince to be really creative in in trying to get certain guys over and, and his commentary and the whole Shawn Michaels thing where he's letting Shawn just berate him like all that stuff was really clever and it wasn't really working, which sort of makes it more sad right now because, you know, Vince is not doing anything clever with WWE and it's not working as well. So it just kind of it makes you wonder, you know, where where he is, you know, sort of mentally and, and, and energy wise with the current form of, of WWE. But 
uh, you know, you mentioned wanting to watch King of the Ring. Like, I'm looking so much forward to watching this show and talking about it next week. Like, if you asked me, okay, we're going to have friends over. Can we watch Stomping Grounds or can we watch 1993 King of the Ring? I'm picking King of the Ring. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. And, I mean, I don't remember everything about this pay-per-view. I remember some of the big the big moments, obviously, but there's a lot of good matches on there from what I remember, and especially stuff with Bret Hart. Like, Bret Hart has a hell of a tournament. Um, it's probably one of the, like, in 93, one of the best performances of any wrestler in 93 uh, for a one, on a one-show performance. So I'm looking forward to that. And looking forward to, I'm looking forward to Yoko and Hogan. I don't give a crap. Like, <laughs> you know me, love Yoko. And I love Hogan too. Like Hogan's Hogan, and and he's such has a great flair for dramatic and and I'm trying to remember what they do. I know I know the finish, but I'm trying to remember like the match with the, what happened between the Bell to Bell. And there's a certain moment that I want to see if it happens, and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. But uh, which I think, if I remember correctly, it's pretty. It's pretty damn smart from Vince what he does with Hogan there. So I can't, I can't wait. And then uh, um, it's kind of fun. Like it would be fun, like to watch this together. You know? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. So that's it. So um, we will be back next week talking King of the Ring and Raw episode twenty one and everything else that happens. Luckily for this weekend, there is not a lot going on. I mean, I mentioned the boxing stuff. There's definitely that stuff going on. But you know the 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 wrestling shows and is is as UFC actually have a have a break this week? <laughs> I hope so, because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard anything about about uh, a show with them. But yeah, man. So so we are done this week. Um, I wanted to to bring back what's John watching, but maybe we'll save it. Uh, I, I, I you haven't told me any of the crazy things you're watching lately so uh but but we'll bring that back we'll also bring back the uh the buy low sell high about stock and wrestlers we'll bring back that that as well but uh but yeah those are just some segments we will we will we will bring back not that we've forgotten them we're just kind of saving them and making them fit but um but yeah so that that's it for this week uh kind of like to get a little plug in yeah Uh, definitely did this uh saturday uh, in Daly City, all for wrestling's having a show. Um, should be a hell of a show. We have Sean Spears uh, versus Timmy Thatcher. We have uh, Sam Adonis coming back versus J.R. Kratos. We have Jacob Fatu on the card defending the title against Papo Esco. And we have, of course, one half of the former one half of the Yellow Champions, Dave Dutra, will be on the card wrestling Marcus Lewis and Joe Christopher's in three way. And, uh, Gregory Iron uh, is in, in town. And he's wrestling Boyce Grand. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff going on this show. It's going and then of course, oh, can't forget Jungle Boy defending his APW Lightweight Championship against Jake Eilish. That should be should be something pretty emotional. I think it's going to be very uh, exciting. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a hell of a show uh, this Saturday. So buy your ticket stick still available come on come on down and i think you'll really enjoy the apw product if you're in town and also garrett happy father's day coming up on saturday yeah man you too we you uh now you got you got two you got two little ones to celebrate with yeah it's gonna be fun i don't know what we're doing yet uh haven't had any 
set in stone and see what the you know, the wife's always good at doing doing fun stuff for these these holidays so we we, we we already reserved the 10 seat table at famous dave's so that's what we're doing that sounds great that's great <laughs> I'm, I, this is what i'm struggling with though i'm struggling with like i want to go out for like a nice brunch but like i also don't want to go out with the crowds you know like especially with two young kids like yep this yeah so we'll see what happens yeah man yeah have a good one so uh yeah so Check out the APW show. Um, I have I have plans that night, so I won't be able to to go. But I hope to see the, all the videos and stuff that people that people take. I'm the, I'm so bummed that I'm not gonna be able to see that Jungle Boy and Jake Atlas match because the uh, their chemistry is really good. Considering it's not like they've had thirty matches against each other, uh, and and so that, I think that has a chance to be something really special. Yeah, and um, I think we're going to close the show with them as the main event, too. I think That's awesome. That. They deserve that moment, and it's going to be – and I think they'll deliver, you know, that Jake Jake Atlas is definitely on the come up. You know, if you don't know Jake Atlas yet, you definitely should go find footage of him. I think we have – I know we had the matchup with him and Shane Strickland. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he, someone's going to sign him soon. Like, they, yeah. they have to. Well, we already know that you know. I, I would. I won't be surprised if it's WWE, if not already, because you know he's done stuff with be you know be a star and mm-hmm. and all that, and he's such a great ambassador, especially for you know the you know the LBGT community, and uh, and he's a good guy, and and Jungle Boy, as like we know, has been getting more and more popular with uh, with his. Um, with you know, with the AEW and everything, and they're the like, they're really, Luchasaurus skits, Luchasaurus skits. Which I'm sorry, no, not to go along with this with this podcast, but I'm a little disappointed in that four way match they booked for uh, Fight Fight Fest. You know, I think I I don't know. I just don't like the booking of it, and I don't know why they booked it. And coming off of Double Nothing, but I just think they I think. And it's good for Jungle Boy to be in that position and be in that match, especially with a guy like Adam Page, who's you know obviously getting the title shot in the future. I just think they should have done something with Adam Page, MJF. I know they don't want to do you know finishes or not not clean, but I don't know. I just think they, they I think this would have been a good show actually to put Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus together as a tag team mm-hmm. and have them get a feature match like where they you know establish them and get over their characters and stuff. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that I mean I, that that match did stick out to me as like, hmm, I'm, I'm not sure I, I completely understand that one, but but uh, but yeah, but I yeah, it's just great to see uh, Jungle Boy, you know, get 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 in the rub a little bit. You know, he's another one, right? We you, I mean, you personally have seen him from just about the very beginning of of, of this run, so it's it's amazing. Um, all right, so for John, I'm Double G. We will see you next week. Peace out.